Hello and welcome back to Small Screen Stories. This is the show where I go over all the news in the well, in the world of entertainment and pop culture. I am Edward Lauder, I'm the editor of Small Screen and if you can like and subscribe to this video that'd be wonderful. If you could do that be a massive help to me, to the site, to everyone involved uh, with Small Screen. And today's going to be a bit, a bit of a different episode. I haven't done an episode for a while because it's been Christmas and today is well, New Year's Eve so it's the last day of 2020. And I thought with it being the last day of 2020, that it also be the perfect opportunity to go over the things we've seen this year in film and TV. Unfortunately, not video games, because I personally didn't play enough video games this year. But, you know, if you do like writing about video games, then please do, uh, uh, well, email me. You can email me at uh, edward at small-screen.co.uk if you're interested in writing about video games for, for the website. But yeah, so I wanted to go over some of the very best in like of the of the year, which has been such an unusual year. So this is going to be kind of weird. It's going to be um, it's going to be a, some very odd lists. I'm going to go over yeah, as I said before, films, TV shows, but I'm also going to do some rankings of like DCU movies. Now that we had Wonder Woman 1984 come out, uh, I'm also going to uh, review Wonder Woman 84 and Soul, which are the two big releases uh, during this Christmas break if you can call it that. And uh, and then I'm also going to talk a bit about uh, the state of DC films, Walter Hamada, uh, what's happening with Robert Pattinson and Batman, or what's not happening with Robert Pattinson and Batman, and the potential of there being two a new kind of two versions of Batman at the same time. So I'll go, I'll go into that in, in more detail in a bit. But let's kick off uh, this whole thing with going over small screens top five films of the year. So basically what I did was I uh, reached out to small screens writers and asked them to give me their top five films of the year. That is not an easy thing to do, as I said before, given how weird this year has been and the fact that most of the movies that were supposed to come out in 2020 were pushed into 2021. But there were some, uh, there were a few that did come out this year and uh, I wanted to, to go over some of them. So the very first, I'll go over, I'll actually, well, I will name the writers because they were the ones that gave them to me and um, and I wanted, I just wanted you to get to see them. So here we go. Here's Alessia Armanese's top five uh, films of 2020. So she picked in, in uh, fifth position, Emma from Universal Pictures. Birds of Prey in fourth position were from Warner Brothers Pictures. Uh, Hillbilly Elegy uh, over, over at Netflix, which was a bit of um, a divisive film. Uh, Rebecca, which is another Netflix film. And then Happiest Season at number one, which is the the Kirsten Stewart um, uh, holiday film, which was over on Hulu, which I actually also really, really loved. I actually loved all of those films. I'm going to be honest. Then we have Daniel Peter, who writes for us on a regular basis. Does He does a lot of box office stuff. Uh, he's been brilliant for small screen. So he put Wonder Woman 1984 in a fifth in fifth position. I'm a bit surprised about that one, but I'm happy to see it there. Uh, the Gentleman, which is uh, Guy Ritchie's film, in at four. Parasite at three, which is the Oscar-winning film Parasite. Again, I did I didn't really explain this. This is uh, based on UK uh, release dates, so Parasite could still be in there. So it's January, uh, well January to December 2020, and I think Parasite came out in January in the UK. And then after that, we have The Trial of the Chicago 7, which is a fantastic film, Aaron Sorkin film over on Netflix. And he put Bad Boys for Life in at number one, and he said he wasn't uh, he wasn't sorry about it. He was waiting for that film for a long, long time. I'll cut over mine. I'll go over mine at the end. 
<clears throat> Hamish Calvert, who's done a lot of stuff for us, uh, he put in And Then We Danced, which is a film that I haven't seen. Um, the Invisible Man, which is which comes in a lot in, in these top five lists. Uh, Parasite again, 1917 and Calm With Horses. Again, 1917 was technically a 19, uh, 2019 movie in the US, but over here in the UK, it did actually come out in 2020. Calm With Horses is another film I haven't seen, so if you're interested in seeing that, then do go and see that. Um, then we got uh, Raven Brunner, who came, who in the fifth position, sorry, gave us The Invisible Man, which again, as I said before, has come up a lot. Run, which is another film I haven't seen over at Hulu. The Half of It on Netflix. The Photograph, Universal Pictures. And Endings, Beginnings, which is actually, I watched that on Netflix. So I think it's probably on Netflix everywhere. I'm not entirely sure about that. But yeah, interesting. I'm going to be honest, I, did, I didn't. No, Endings, Beginnings is a film that uh, is not quite for me. But um, I'm glad I'm glad it's in there. I'm glad it's in there. So and then Rich Burnham. So he put the gentleman in at number five. Hamilton, which is on Disney Plus, which actually apparently is the most streamed uh, film of, of the year. Apparently, that's that's uh, these things kind of it, like if you, you see conflicting reports, but it's definitely one of the most streamed films of 2020. Uh, Palm Springs, which is the um, who's in this? Andy Samberg in that. Uh, I haven't seen that. I really want to see that. Uh, The Five Bloods on Netflix and The King of Staten Island is his number one film of 2020. And then mine, as I kind of cut, (laughs) went over pretty quickly, Extraction. Yeah, I love that film uh, over on Netflix. The Child of the Chicago 7, Uncut Gems, The Invisible Man and Jojo Rabbit, which is technically a 2020 film because it was released in January in the UK, January 2020. So I kind of cheated, I think. But um, let me know what you guys think. Well, first of all, let me know what your uh, favorite films of 2020 are. Uh, I'd love to know. Uh, there, there are, I mean, I've the ones that we keep on coming back are the likes of uh, the, Char- the Trial of the Chicago 7, Parasite, The Invisible Man is one. Um, yeah, they're, they're the ones that, The Gentleman came up twice, actually. So the gentleman. So I'm kind of trying to think of an overall kind of small screen top five. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure the the trial of the Chicago Seven, the Invisible Man, Parasite, the Gentleman, and then 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 the fifth one is kind of there are lots of different ones, but let's let's put Palm Springs in there, <laughs> uh, in at number five. Uh, yeah, so that that was. This is just something that I, I've wanted to do for quite some time now. And I also did a uh, best of, uh, well, as I said before, the best uh, TV shows of the year. And that was slightly easier because there were some very good TV shows that came out in 2020. There are a lot more TV shows that came out in 2020 than uh, than movies. So with that in mind, uh, here we go. So in i'm gonna put this up again so it's uh this you know the same the same similar people uh similar writers sent me this so alessia's top five the crown season four little fires everywhere on amazon prime dead to me season four on netflix the undoing on hbo and unorthodox in at number one uh i'll bring that up there there and that's netflix and actually the unorthodox and dead to me and the crown come up quite a few times Daniel Peter, he gave us in at number five, The Last Dance on Netflix, His Dark Material Season 2, 
That's HBO, BBC, Normal People on BBC, The Crown Season 4 on Netflix, and The Queen's Gambit on Netflix. Then I'll just give you mine very quickly. The Crown Season 4, I love that. Ragnarok is a, a show that I really, really adored that came out this year on Netflix Season 1. Unorthodox is brilliant. Dead to Me Season 2 is really good, and I put in The Mandalorian Season 2 in at number 1 because I loved that. That's on Disney+. Plus. Lawrence Rennie gave us his uh, his top five uh, TV shows of the year. The Mandalorian Season 2, The Haunting of Bly Manor, uh, which is the follow-on from The Haunting of Hill House, which uh, I thought it was fine. Um, I, I really wanted it to be better, but uh, I'm glad to see that Lawrence liked it. The Queen's Gambit at number three. The Queen's Gambit is a show that comes up a lot. Lovecraft Country in at two, and The Last Dance uh, in at number one. So then we have Lydia, and Lydia, her number one is, uh, I, I let it slide because I was like, yeah, you know what? <laughs> if you haven't seen it before, then uh, then you can, and 2020 is a weird year anyway. So she put Lucifer season five, part B, in at number five, His Dark Materials season two from the BBC, uh, The Queen's Gambit in at number three, Modern Family uh, at number two, and Friends at number one. So Modern Family and Friends, of course, didn't come out in 2020. But with it being one of those odd years, uh, sh- I said, you know what? If you if that if those are the two shows that you liked watching this year the most, then put them in because 2020 has been an odd year. And I know that a lot of people have kind of been rediscovering a lot of old shows. And you know what? I love Friends and Modern Family. I think they're two great shows. So Raven Brunner is someone that she does a lot of TV stuff for us. So I would look at her list and really check out the things that are on her list. I'd look at all all the people's lists, but uh, Raven and Lydia are the two people that write the most about TV shows on small screen. So she, at number five, put Duncanville, which I haven't seen. At number four, Breeders, with season one, which I haven't seen. Everything's going to be okay. Uh, uh, and at number three, over Hulu, which I haven't seen either. Little Fires Everywhere is the one show I have seen on her list, which I thought was, it was it was all right. It was all right. It wasn't wasn't my favorite of the year, which is why it wasn't in my top five. And then I, I know this much to be true, which is uh, an HBO miniseries. I believe it stars uh, Mark Ruffalo, I think. But um, yeah, so that's that. There are some shows on that on her list that I haven't seen before, and I think if you're in, if you're struggling to watch to to think of of well, if you're struggling to think of things to watch in 2020 or 2021, which it will be tomorrow, um, then look at her list. There are some really good things in there. So Rich Burnham, he put "I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here" on ITV on <laughs> number five, which I thought was quite funny because. Um, yeah, so just an, it's an ITV show. If you're not <laughs> based in the UK, you probably won't know what that is. It's a weird show. Um, we get celebrities and we put them... This year, because of COVID, they put them in a church in Wales. So he put that in at number five. Tiger King in at number four. Avatar The Last Airbender, which is on Netflix. So as I said, this is old, but it arrived on Netflix a year ago. So uh, it did get people through lockdown. And that's exactly what Rich said. Uh, the Queen's Gambit in at number two, and The Mandalorian season two in at number one. So if you look at this list, again, you can really see that Netflix are kind of runaway winners of 2020 as far as, well, actually both movies and TV shows are concerned. And the reason that the reason being is because it's more available. So people can actually go and watch watch these uh, these shows as, well, pretty easily. It's really easy to go and watch these shows. So that is why they're there. That is why they're so prominent. But I will also say that they made some pretty good shows this year and and movies. So uh, I'm not overly surprised to, uh, to to see so much 
so much Netflix stuff in in this kind of best of year. But let me know what you guys, what your favorite movies and TV shows were of 2020. Uh, if there are things that you'd watched that you hadn't seen before that maybe came out in another year that really helped you this year. I mean, it's been quite, uh, TV shows and movies have played quite an important part, I think, in people's lives, especially being stuck at home. But um, yeah, just let me know what you, th- what you guys think. Uh, the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go over the films that hopefully will come out in 2021. So this, uh, these, sorry, uh, this is something that Daniel Peter did for us. And uh, I'm very, very grateful to have him on my team. And he did something that I was thinking of doing for a long time, which is uh, he basically went through uh, all of the movies that are supposed to come out in 2021. And he gave us his favorite ones. So I'll put them up here again. So as you can see by the feature image, yes, <laughs> Black Widow is on this list. So number one was No Time to Die. Um, the Matrix 4. Uh, these um, these are, I mean, The Matrix 4 was, was supposed to come out in 2021 anyway. Whether it's still going to come out, I'm not sure. But of course, No Time to Die was supposed to come out this year, as in 2020. Uh, then we have uh, Many Saints of Newark, which is the continuation of uh, The Sopranos, um, but it's, it's a movie. That's going to be an interesting one. And then we have Black Widow, which uh, was, again, supposed to come out in 2020, but now was pushed to March, I believe. No, May, sorry, 2021. Then we have The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, which is uh, the next film in The Conjuring franchise, which I am very, very excited to see. It's going to see Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga return. And then I will head on over to the, um, here we go, list the part two. So that was part one. So here we go, part two. Top Gun Maverick, which again was supposed to come out in 2020 and now is coming out in 2021. June, which was supposed to come out in 2020, is now coming out in 2021. I believe it's, uh, I cannot remember the exact date. But yeah, that's coming out. That's coming out next year. And then we have Mission Impossible Seven. If if they manage to finish that movie, I have heard that Tom Cruise is back on set, which is good news. Uh, Spider Man Three. That's coming out next year. Hopefully, fingers fingers crossed. That's coming out next year. And uh, then he also put in some special mentions. So he put uh, Raya the Last Dragon, which is coming straight to Disney Plus, actually. Morbius, uh, Venom, Let There Be Carnage, Jungle Cruise, Godzilla vs. Kong, Minions, The Rise of Gru, The Resident Evil reboot, and Death on the Nile. So there are some movies that I think you should all be excited to see in 2021. Hopefully they will actually come out and we will be able to go to cinemas again. uh, I, I really do hope that's the case, but you never know with COVID. I really did think at the beginning of all the all of this that cinemas well, they did open for a while. I did get to see Tenant in the cinema, for instance, but um, it's just it's it's one of the it's one of those things. This year has been a bit of a bit of a weird one, and uh, it's just unfortunate, really. But hopefully, twenty twenty one will be better. So, moving on from that, well, actually, let me know which films you're uh, excited to see uh, in twenty twenty one. If any of the films on our list made it into yours, please let us know. And then, moving on from that, it's time to rank the DC Extended Universe films from best to worst. And of course, this is after we just got uh, Wonder Woman 1984, in uh, well, either in cinemas or streaming, wherever you are, uh, if cinemas are open. And if you're in the US, then you could go and watch it on HBO Max. So here we go. I'll get the article back up for you guys. So 
it's not easy ranking the DCU films from best to worst. No, it isn't. I, this is my personal ranking. And of course, because I'm the editor of Small Screen, it is also Small Screen's official ranking of the DCEU movies. Uh, but in number one, we have Wonder Woman, the 2016 film that I think is still the best DCU movie ever made. I love this film. I think it's brilliant. I think Patty Jenkins did a brilliant job with the movie. I do think the final third act or the third the third act of the final act of the movie is rather lackluster, which is a shame because the rest of the film was so good. But, um, you know, it's just one of those things. Uh, it seems to be a running thing with DCU movies that the ends of them are rather dark and dingy and they just kind of end up in a big CGI fight at the end. So in at number two, we have Aquaman, which I do think is the, the most fun film in the DCU. I, I just had a lot of fun with it. I think James Wan is a brilliant director. And I think this film, I really did not, as I, <laughs> as you get to see uh, the abs on show, uh, I really didn't expect it to work. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I really didn't think it was going to work. But I came out of the film thinking I really, really enjoyed that. So obviously, James Wan did something right. So that's in at number two. In at number three, Man of Steel, which is one of my favorite, not if not my favorite Superman film. And I have issues with it, but I have issues with all Superman movies. Um, I think personally, I think Henry Cavill is perfect casting. I actually think the DCU is really, really well cast, just in general. But um, with Man of Steel, I think Zack Snyder did something really interesting with the character. He kind of modernized the character. Uh, He gave us a really good Superman. I do think there are plot problems. I do think um, the Superman we get is a bit too angry, let's say, a bit a bit, a bit too aggressive. Um, but I really enjoyed the film and I would love to see a second one. So that's number three. And in at number four, this is probably where you guys, a lot of DC fans are going to look at me and be like, what the hell are you thinking? But Birds of Prey, I love that film. I, I actually genuinely think it's a good film. Um, I, again, I talk about fun. I think Birds of Prey is a really fun film. And it's got a very strong uh, cast. It's got a very strong lead in Margot Robbie, who's brilliant as as Harley Quinn. I think she was the best thing in Suicide Squad, which actually isn't that difficult. But she was the best thing in that film, and she was the best thing in Birds of Prey. And I would love to see more of these sorts of films, but I don't think we're going to get to, which is a shame, but it's just one of those things. Uh, then in at number five, we have Shazam, which I feel is, as I said, it's not great and it's not terrible. So it's kind of okay. It's like I think the best the best way to describe this film is a bit meh. <laughs> Although I do think Zachary Levi as uh, Shazam is perfect casting. So yeah, that's in at number five, and then in at number six. Unfortunately, it's Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four. I know you're probably thinking, where is this film? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I didn't really enjoy it. Um, I was the overriding feeling I had of this watching this film was of great disappointment. I was really expecting more from Patty Jenkins and I'll go into why a bit later on in the review. But um, yeah, it's just, I was really upset by it. And um, I'm glad to hear that some people liked it because I really, really, really love everyone involved in the film. I think Gal Gadot is a perfect Wonder Woman. I think Patty Jenkins is a great director and she actually wrote this film, which might actually be part of the problem. But um, yeah, that's in at number six. In at number seven, we have Batman vs Superman Dawn of Justice. So there's a lot of good, but also a lot of bad in this movie, which is why this is quite far down the list. I I love, 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 for instance, the Batman fight scene where he's trying to save Martha. 
who is Superman's mother. But that brings me into my least favorite aspect of the DCU as a whole, and that's that whole Martha scene between Batman and Superman, where they both realize that their mothers, or, or you know, surrogate mothers, have the same name. And I'm like, is that really a reason to stop fighting? Because Batman was literally about to kill Superman. And there's another issue I have with that film is that the Batman in it, I do actually think Ben Affleck's portrayal of Batman is a very interesting one and, and actually one of the best we've had. But I also think that uh, he's just too killy. He's too murdery. <laughs> and uh, there's something I don't quite like about that version of Batman. But there are things that I like about it. I think that... that um, Batman beating up a, a bunch of thugs scene to try and save Superman's mum is the best scene hands down in the DCU. I think that is the best scene in the DCU. But then again, you can't have a film be brilliant just based on one scene. And I think the rest of it is actually pretty poor. Uh, but that's, again, that's just my my personal feeling about the film. Then in a number eight, Suicide Squad and I did say at the beginning of this David Ayer's Suicide Squad, but it, it's not David Ayer's Suicide Squad because, of course, David Ayer's Suicide Squad was never actually released. Uh, the, the vision that he had was never put into cinemas, which is a shame, and I really don't like that. I like, even though, for instance, I don't think Batman vs Superman is a particularly good film, I still love the fact that it's, it's Zack Snyder's vision, and I love the fact that he got to do what he wanted to do with that film. What happened here was that the studio panicked and took over the movie and then um, ended up cutting it to into something that it was never meant to be. As I said, it's, it's just a really bad movie. Uh, it's poorly edited, poorly written, not particularly well acted, uh, and it's not David Ayer's film. And it's a product of studio interference and um, basically, yes, to the point of ruin. I think the film is, is, is actually dreadful. But then... Number nine, and the worst film in the DCU by far, is Justice League, or shall we call it jo Justice League? I think that's how people call it. Uh, it's terrible. That film, again, if we're talking about studio interference, they took the film away from Zack Snyder, and Zack Snyder had a vision, and we're going to see that pretty soon, and hopefully it'll be good. I really hope it will be good, but the thing that Joss Whedon gave us was not good. It was it was a mess. It was, uh, as I said, you can barely call this a film. It the plot was all over the place. Scenes just didn't make sense. It was an ugly movie. It was actually a really, really ugly movie. And I do not like ugly films. Uh, the one thing you can say about Zack Snyder's movies is they're not ugly. They're they're very, very well shot. And uh, this was just not that. It was had this whole red grain to it, which was just bad. The characters just didn't really make much sense. The plot made no sense. The villain was poor. Every it's just poor. It's like a it's like a, a fail you know, F-grade movie. And um, hopefully I'm get, we're going to get to see a better one in the not-so-distant future. I think I think it's March. I think we're getting uh, Zack Snow's uh, Justice League. And um, yeah, let me know what your... that the, This, again, is a personal ranking for me. But let me know what your rankings of the DCU movies are in the comments below. Right, moving on away from all of that. And I think that's enough lists for now. The thing I wanted to talk about was Walter Hamada. And Walter Hamada um, did a, a recent interview with, um, with the New York Times. And in that interview, uh, he kind of, he said a lot of stuff. So one of the first things he said was that um, they're going to be releasing four movies a year, two of which are going to be put onto HBO Max. And 
that's cool yeah I, I like that i think that's a good idea and it's, it seems to mean that we're going to get a lot of movies coming our way very soon but he also said things like um he basically used the word cul-de-sac um talking about Zack snyder's uh Justice League and his kind of DC universe thing and said that basically said that there's not really going to be anything beyond um, Zack Snyder's Justice League in that in that realm, <clears throat> which is kind of unusual to say, considering we've got Wonder Woman three coming out. But he to me reading that article, it really did sound like an anti kind of it, it sounded like a bit of a cry for help. And um uh, James Simon, another writer who's been helping me out a lot recently, uh, did a really good article, which I think you should read. I'll, I'll put it up here. Uh, all about uh, Walter Hamada out of Warner Brothers Pictures and DC Films? Question mark. So he goes in this article. He goes into what's been going on at Justice at uh, DC Films and and Warner Media. So Walter Hamada is the is the kind of overseer at DC Films, and. Um, this kind of then stems from, I'll bring it up here, this tweet that Ray Fisher put out there when he said, Walter Hamada is the most dangerous kind of enabler. His lies and Warner Brothers PR's failed September 4th hit piece sought to undermine the very real issues of the Justice League investigation. I will not participate in any production associated with him. Ent um, accountability larger than entertainment. So, that is a massive statement. And of course, he made this statement right after the Warner Brothers, um, sorry, right, right after the New York Times article was released. And it makes me think, what now what is going on at DC Films? What it's really a bit of a mess. Uh, and I'll take this off. I'll just take that. But yeah, again, do go and check that article out. You can find it on the site. You can, uh, I, I tweeted it out and uh, it's also on, on uh, Facebook. But it's... Warner Brothers have made some really odd decisions recently. So, of course, they fired Johnny Depp from Fantastic Beast 3, which a lot of people are really upset with. There's the whole Amber Heard thing going on, which they're keeping her on and looking as though they're going to keep her on in Aquaman 2. And then there's just, then there's Zack Snyder's Justice League. Um, and it was said by Zack Snyder himself that he was asked by Toby Emmerich to make that film, to... to whether he could actually get his cut of Justice League out there. It wasn't Walter Hamada's decision. And Walter Hamada comes from, he's a very, I think he's a very good producer. I think he's made some, he's he's had some really good films made under his watch. I, I spoke earlier about the Conjuring films. They were produced by him. And he did a lot of movies with uh, James Wan, which is probably one of the reasons why Walter Hamada is now a big cheese over at DC Films. But I I always saw Walter Hamada as a stopgap, so someone to come in to kind of stop the hemorrhaging that was going on at DC Films and Warner Brothers, um, particularly DC Films, which is why he's like the overseer, so he's not actually the head of DC Films. And I wonder whether that article, because there are actually a very few quotes from him, he does in that article say that they're going to be looking at making two Batman different, like separate franchises. They have Robert Pattinson's Batman and a new Batman as well, and a new bunch of films that won't be uh, Ben Affleck. And it just seems to me like it's just throwing so much out there with no real vision. And that again, him coming out and saying, we've got four films coming out every year it's like you think really really is is that really what people need and also 
he didn't specify whether they were live action films or animated films. So there could very well be two live action films coming out every year and two animated films. But he did specifically like the 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 article, not not him, did specifically name I think it was static the static shock film and the Batgirl films as one that could come direct to streaming basically to HBO Max. The, it's just Warner Brothers and DC films are in such a weird place, especially although now they've literally just revealed that Wonder Woman 3 is going to happen. They're bringing Gal, Gal Gadot and Patty Jenkins back. They wanted to make that very, very clear very early on. They did that after the film was basically certified fresh by Rotten, Rotten Tomatoes. And then now you look at the, the the percentage now on the critic score and it's much, much lower than it was before. It's no longer certified fresh. So I think they really jumped the gun on that one. And that, I mean, I personally, I love Patty Jenkins and I love to see her make a third Wonder Woman film, but they really need to sort things out. They really need to sort out their messaging. There are so many problems. And I'm not saying, I'm not putting the blame specifically on Walter Hamada, but the tweet from uh, from Ray Fisher makes me think that there are issues with him with the hierarchy at Warner Brothers, and it's very, very dangerous. And uh, fans are starting to, to to notice. And again, the the, the headline of this article is, uh, you know, will is Walter Hamada out of Warner Brothers Pictures and DC Films? I again, I, I'm I don't think they'll get rid of him anytime soon. I think he'll probably be in there for until like at least 2022 in in that position. Because there are some films that he wants to make sure he gets to oversee, which he's been working on. But it does feel to me like there's no real direction at Warner Brothers. There's no plan. There's, And I know it's probably not fair to do this, but you cannot but compare what what's happening at DC Films to what Marvel Studios did. Marvel Studios had a vision. I mean, I'm not I'm not even saying they need someone like Kevin Feige. What I'm saying is they need to sort out their plan. They need to have they need to sit down with everyone and and be like, "Okay, what are we working on? What are we dropping?" Um and there doesn't seem to be that. Even if even if they kind of go, which I actually hope they do, if they say, "Look, we're not doing the inter, uh, interconnected thing anymore. We're just going to focus on making as many good movies as we can or we're just focusing on making good movies, maybe not, it's not, you know, saying we're going to release four films a year is not, as a DC, I'm a DC Comics fan, as I, I actually like a lot of the DCU films, I I, I, I love DC, it's, it's, I'm a DC guy, if you look at the, the comics behind me, they're all, they're, the majority of those are DC comics, and um, I used to have a lot more, and I got rid of them, because I was moving, but um and carrying around comic books is heavy uh but it's it's just upsetting it's like i just want i want them to focus on making let, 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 let's say focus on making fewer films but just focus on making them better it does it does not matter how many movies you, you bring out and i get the feeling that this is what walter hamada's thinking is oh let's just get as many films out as possible and hope that there is and uh, maybe one one might be good out of four and that's not enough if you if you're making four movies a year, four of those each film has to be brilliant. Really, it has to be like eight eight out of tens. You can't end up with a Wonder Woman 1984, which is basically a six out of ten, as far as I'm concerned. And that actually basically be your only movie that comes out this year. They had so much time. Anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about that later. But 
I do think Walter Hamada is in a difficult position. I think uh, Ray Fisher's tweet doesn't make it any easier for him because it kind of makes, well, it made me think, well, there might be some issues going on at Wonder uh, to Warner Brothers and DC Films. There was the investigation into uh, Warner Media that um, actually Ray Fisher got, basically happened because of him. Um, and they they came out and said that they they made the you know that they they did everything they needed to do and they kind of sorted the pro- fixed the problem. But as far as Ray Fisher's concerned, no, the problem's not fixed. There are still people there at Warner Brothers that are that that are problematic. He spoke about Toby Emmerich in in the Forbes article, who's basically the the head of Warner Brothers now, and saying that he's a problem. And now he's saying Walter Hamad is also a problem. So. I suppose what I'm getting at is Warner Brothers needs needs a big shakeup. Um, they they need they they need to have basically I'm talking about fewer. They need fewer people in, <laughs> involved at the very top. They've got too many. That I know. Um, there's a really good video done by Grace Randolph where she went over all the um, well. She went over the Warner Brothers hierarchy, and it's just mad. It's insane. There are so many different people involved, and it's just got worse since AT and T is kind of well. They now basically own Warner Media. They, I think, they do own Warner Media, and it's just got worse because they've got more people involved. It's too many people. It's it is the corporate world, but unfortunately, if you're going to be making these movies as good as they possibly can be, and if you really want them to keep on happening, then they need to sort their act out. They need to sort themselves out. They need to clean house. They they need to think outside, like they need to think out, not just outside the box. I'm talking in cliches, but they really need to look at who they can bring in that will steady the ship, who they can bring in that will actually help them help these movies become better in the long run, because they really desperately need to be better. And the the whole thing with Wonder Wonder Woman eighty four, I was really hoping that film was going to be the the best DC comics movie ever made, but it was not. It had every like every opportunity to be, but it was not. And why is that? Is that Patty Jenkinson's fault? Patty, ugh, Patty Jenkins's fault? I don't think so. I don't think it's her fault. I I do wonder whether someone at Warner Brothers, maybe even a Jeff Johns who was involved in writing the 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 film, or someone higher up, someone like Walter Hamada, got into her ear and freaked her out and got her to change the movie, because. Uh, Patty Jenkins is a much better director than what than than what we got. Uh, you know, she she should have made a much better film. And um, I, I'm just not I'm not very confident at the moment with with what's happening uh, at Warner Brothers, just in general. But it is it it's, it worries me as a DC Comics fan. But let me know what you guys think about that. That was a, a very long discussion about all of that. And um, I I'd love to know what you guys think. But moving on, and what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to talk about an exclusive that we came up with a couple of days ago now, but because I haven't done a live stream in a while, I haven't had the opportunity to go over it, and it's to do with Keanu Reeves. And uh, according to our sources, uh, Keanu Reeves is now in talks to um, join a uh, a pretty exciting future project at the MC in, in the MCU. So... Uh, I'm trying to find the article. <laughs> Can't find the article. Uh, da, 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 da. So it's not there. Where is it? Where is my Keanu Reeves article? Did it go into news? 
you're having there we go having an interesting behind the scenes look at what goes on during these live streams but uh, yeah so Keanu Reeves is reportedly in talks for a role in a future Marvel series so I've I've seen a lot of people uh, take this exclusive and uh, run with it which is great but they kind of reported it wrong they said it was for a, D, uh, a Disney Plus uh, series which is actually not what I was told um well, I'll go to the here to the the quotes. So Keanu Reeves and Marvel Studios are currently in talks over a role in a future Marvel TV series which hasn't been officially revealed yet. And then I pressed the source for more information and then the the source said the role is still undisclosed but what I'm hearing is that it's for a, a series involving Ghost Rider. And then another source corroborated the first source and also added that uh, yes I can confirm that Keanu Reeves is in talk for a role. Uh, in the MCU. It's for one of Marvel's upcoming shows. Um, what I do not know is which series it's, sorry, it's will be. Hmm. Uh, and um, it's, it seems as though, and uh, again, uh, as I kind of go through all of the other, I don't think I've got any other quotes in the article, but it's, it seems as though uh, it could be for Ghost Rider, but again, that was not what I was told. And also, I was not told that it's for a Disney Plus series. Um, as far as... The, now I'm going into speculation areas, which I tend to do with these things. But as far as I'm aware, I wouldn't be surprised if this is, ends up being one of their more mature or more violent TV shows that they put on either Hulu in the United States or uh, Star, which is their kind of more mature area of the Disney Plus kind of streaming service that they have which is password protected so that um <laughs> you know your your kids can't get onto that but um i i'm pretty sure it'll be that and i he's been linked to the ghost rider role for quite some time but we also know that keanu reeves and marvel have uh, had a lot of talks over the years about um potentially connected bringing him into the mcu kevin feige has been very vocal uh, he really likes the actor and he really wants to bring him in, into the MCU. They just haven't found the right role for him. So it's... Um, I, I'm Let's give it... I'm 70% sure it's Ghost Rider. But again, you can quote me on that if you want. But it's... it's This whole thing is... I, I, I have this... I mean, especially it's kind of gone quiet over the Christmas period... But this discussion, open discussion with the with the sources, and um, as soon as I get any more information on this, I will let you know. But as far as I, that, that's why I said if in a future Marvel series, and it's basically an undisclosed role. So the the story is that Kev, that Keanu Reeves is talking to Marvel Studios about a role in a future Marvel TV show. Now that. I've heard a lot of people saying, oh, well, you know, Keanu Reeves is box office, so he's bigger than a, t than a TV show. Well, yes, you know, he is. But these Marvel TV shows are not your ordinary Marvel, you know, they're not your ordinary TV shows, are they? You know, you have Paul Bettany, you have um, uh, basically everyone involved in the Marvel Cinematic Universe turning up in these TV shows. So it, it's not it's not quite the same as like him turning up in a CW show. What what it is is him turning up in a Marvel Cinematic Universe property, which um, and he's playing a character. He will be playing a character in that property that could then be expanded upon in a future movie. Um, <clears throat> what do you guys think of this? Uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on it. I'm I'm a big Keanu Reeves fan, and I really cannot wait to see him join the MCU. Uh, let me know your thoughts in the comments below. Right, moving on, and moving on to. Um, 
Yeah, I will. I will do this. So basically, I was part of it. There was the Geekosity uh, Christmas Jam scoop. I think that was what it's called. Uh, if I got that name wrong, I am sorry. But basically, a bunch of different um, uh, YouTube channels and me. Well, and and <laughs> and um, <coughs> sorry and. Uh, uh, well, small screen. We basically uh, did a bunch. Mikey Sutton sent us a bunch of scoops. And Mikey Sutton is an, in, an industry insider, and he gets a lot of information. And he, you know, he he's pretty much spot on with everything he he puts out there. So I got the Captain Britain scoop, and uh, one of the other scoops that was out there was that Marvel's uh, sorry, Marvel is discussing a Ghost Rider series to de- debut on Hulu via Disney Plus. So this kind of ties into what I was talking about before, which is probably why people got a bit confused and saying, that, oh, it's, um, you know, Ghost Rider coming to Disney Plus. That sounds a bit weird because Ghost Rider would be quite violent. It would come to Disney Plus, Hulu in the United States, star in the UK and the rest of the world, really. So here's what Mikey Sutton said. Um, the Midnight Suns may be introduced in one of the new Blades movies, but Marvel Studios see him as the perfect vehicle for a mature TV show while making theatrical appearances as well with his freakish partners in the Midnight Suns. In the months ahead, development will begin to commence and reveal who is going to generate scares on Hulu. So uh, then I suppose that does tie in with my my article on, um, on Keanu Reeves being in conversation for a Marvel TV show. So, I mean, all things are pointing towards Keanu Reeves being playing Ghost Rider in the MCU. Which is kind of, I suppose it's kind of weird as well, because if you've been watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., then you will know that they did kind of have a, a Ghost Rider. Well, they did have Ghost Rider in that show. But the thing is with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I don't really think Kevin Feige considers that to be canon, even though there have been actors from the MCU turn up in that show. So, you know, you had uh, Samuel Jackson turn up in that show at one point. Um, <clears throat> and it's it's difficult, but I'm pretty sure they're going to kind of act as though that never happened because that show is now ending. And uh, it's had its time, and I think uh, people are going to be moving away from it. But let me know what you guys think about that in the comments below. Right, I am going to finish off today's rather long stream, sorry about that, um, with two uh, two reviews. Uh, and of course, I said this before, I'm going to review Soul and Wonder Woman. So let's start off with Soul. I am a massive, massive fan of Pixar, and I think their films, I know people call them child, you know, kids movies because they're animated but they are so much more than just kids movies and um you have the likes of inside out you have up you have um coco more recently you have toy story even all of these films explore very kind of grown-up themes sorry <clears throat> it is the end of the year and of course i'm getting a bit sick but um they they explore some very yeah mature themes so often you know loneliness depression death some of them and um it's you know it's 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 not that they they do it in such a clever way they they package it in a way that it's like you're not really realizing what you're watching until you watch it and until until afterwards until you think about it sit down and think about it so if i'm going to talk about peak peak pixar for me that would probably would be inside out i th- i think inside out is one of their best movies and that was directed by pete doctor and pete doctor is the one of the co-directors of soul um, I believe it was his original idea. Uh, don't again, don't quote me on that, but I think I'm right on that. And um, it's, 
He co-directed with Kemp Powers. So it stars Jamie Foxx, Tina Fey, Graham Norton, Rachel House, um, Alice Braga, Richard Ayoade, uh, you know, all the Angela Bassett, loads and loads of people in this. And, you you know, but it's really Jamie Foxx and Tina Fey are the main characters. Actually, Graham Norton has quite a big role in this in this movie. And um, the story is Jamie Foxx plays, uh, who does he, what's his name in the movie? Uh, Joe Gardner, who's a, a, um, a music teacher, and uh, but his real dream is to become a, a famous jazz musician. And he finally gets a big gig um, after he did an audition, and uh, he was very impressive in that audition. But walking home he falls down a manhole and he dies and then he ends up uh, basically going to the great beyond but he doesn't want to go to the great beyond yet because he wants to play the gig so the whole kind of uh, from that point on it's about him trying to get back to earth and trying to get back to his body along the way um, he meets someone he meets uh, basically there are all these souls which are kind of before they go into you know go to earth and inhabit <laughs> a human body i don't know how else to put it um they're kind of come they're, they're they're given their badge and so they get which is basically their personality and they all have they all have to have a mentor and the mentor has to help them find their spark and what is their spark well it's the thing they're going to supposedly it's their purpose in life but um and i it's quite a tricky bit but basically the whole thing is that through a rather convoluted way joe gardner ends up becoming 22's mentor uh, and 22 has been there is called 22 and she or it i think it's a she but we, we don't really know uh, is voiced by tina fey uh is notoriously difficult and has been there basically since the dawn of time and every mentor has she's been through loads of different mentors very famous people like archimedes you know all these people like all these great minds and they have not been able to find her spark and she's basically lost all hope and doesn't really care and just wants to stay in where she is like currently inhabiting and doesn't want to go to earth they both end up going to earth basically that's what happens she ends up in joe gardner's body and joe gardner ends up in a cat's body so that's kind of i think i probably gave you a bit too much but if you're watching this review you've probably seen the film already so what do i think about it well, I described it as basically, I, I see this film as the third film in, in a Pete Doctor trilogy, which is started with Up, then we had Inside Out, and then we finish off with Soul. And the reason I think that is because they're all about quite similar things. So I think, so I still think Inside Out is the be- Inside Out and Up, I still think are better than Soul. But I think Soul is one of Disney's, uh, sorry, Pixar's best films they've done in a long time. I would say Coco is probably the, the the film that they did previously that is better than this, but it's I would call it I, I would call it kind of gold standard Pixar in the sense that it's a film about a theme that has a theme in it that is difficult to talk about, um, which is of course death. But actually, the film isn't actually about that. It's actually about your purpose in life and what is your purpose in life it's about loneliness it's a, it is about depression it's about obsession it's about it's about selfishness you know joe gardner is actually quite a selfish character and he it takes him to meet takes him meeting 22 to realize that and to realize what is important in life it's about your you start off thinking that this is all about trying to find 
22 spark, but actually in the end you realize that it's actually the spark doesn't doesn't really matter because that not might not necessarily be your purpose in life. You could, you know, there's a great scene with um with Joe Gardner's hairdresser in the movie where the hairdresser basically um says actually I can't remember what his purpose well he's of course a great hairdresser but that wasn't his that that wasn't what he really wanted to do that wasn't his spark and that's what um that's what the film was about that you know you might not necessarily end up doing the thing that you love that that might not be your purpose in life but you kind of can still find other things that you love you know it doesn't for me i suppose my my love is 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 pop culture and i'm very lucky to have found something that that allows me to explore that as a job but not that doesn't happen for everybody and um i think that's actually a really powerful message i think it's a really really powerful message i think it's really well uh it just looks beautiful but then again it's a pixar film so they all look beautiful but it's a story it's a complicated story it's complex it's it makes you really think and that's why i did i really did love it i really did love soul again i wouldn't say it's the best pixar film ever but that's really really like when you know I was talking about ranking the DC comics movies earlier, but like ranking Pixar would be bloody impossible because there are such good films there. They make such good films. They make such complex films about such difficult ideas. And they are films that are fundamentally children's films. Uh, and that's just why I think, I mean, even there are lots of people that were worrying about Pixar after John Lasseter was forced out and, you know, John Lasseter was the person that made Pixar, um, but there are people there like like uh, Pete Doctor that are very more than capable of pushing, you know, doing excellent things, making brilliant films, and they are very good at that. And uh, I'm not worried about the future of Pixar. I think it's very exciting, and I think uh, Soul. I mean, I didn't put it in my top five films of the year, but that's because I, I wrote that article before watching it, but I think it would be in my top five, uh, pro nearer the top than the bottom of that list. I think it's a fantastic film. And let me know what you guys think about Soul in the comments below. Right, now moving on to a film that I wasn't so happy with, and uh, I'm really upset to report that I really did not care much for Wonder Woman 1984. <sighs> I was, again, I've said this before, I was so, so excited for this film. I was really looking forward to seeing Patty Jenkins' second Wonder Woman film starring Gal Gadot, Kristen Wiig, Pedro Pascal, Robin Wright, and Connie Nielsen. Uh, but yeah, in the end, it just wasn't very good. Um, it was... The, override, the, the real overriding feeling I had from this film was one of disappointment. I was so, so disappointed by this film. And... Uh, because I really thought it was going to be great. I really, really thought it was going to be like, I think I think there are problems with all the characters. <laughs> and that's something that I don't usually say. I think there are problems with Max Lord, with Pedro Pascal's Max Lord. I'm like, he's a villain, but is he really? He's kind of like their version of Trump, but he isn't really their version of Trump. I do not understand his motives. I don't understand what he's trying to do. I don't understand how he found out so much about this Dreamstone. It literally is a movie about people trying to find a stone to make a wish. And it's like, ugh. No, this is not what I wanted from from a Wonder Woman film. But that said, there are elements in it that I do love. There are you know lots of scenes between Gal Gadot and Chris Pine that I think are great. Uh, I think they have great great chemistry. Um, I think Kristen Wiig had the potential to be brilliant in this film, and I think she does as much as she can do with the source material with the material she's given. But she is fundamentally 
her her character is basically Jamie Foxx's character in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. She starts off as a dorky person that that has basically a crush on on the film's hero, which is in her was well, Diana Prince. She wishes she could be like Diana Diana Prince. She ends up becoming like Wonder Woman, but I suppose loses her humanity because the whole thing is if you you wish for something, you get that wish but you lose something in return and I suppose she lost her humanity. Which is kind of an interesting, it's an interesting idea. But when it was pointed out to me that she is a lot like Jamie Foxx's Electro, I just could not stop but thinking it. I could not stop thinking that. And that, that, that probably ruined it for me. But I think it's also the kind of classic, <coughs> the, the classic situation in which um, the woman starts off wearing glasses and is considered dorky and then takes them off and everyone's like, oh my God, she's beautiful it's just such a such a again this film is so full of cliches it's just it's set in the 80s but it really doesn't it really doesn't use that to its potential we could have had so much great 80s music in this movie and i do wonder that whether they might have cut corners like they might have because it's quite expensive like 80s music is very popular and um because it's very good so they could have had like some great duran duran tracks in there and you know, it's just fantastic 80s music, but no, nothing really. There's a scene in the film where you see, <clears throat> so Diana Prince is with um, Trevor, Steve Trevor. He comes back in a very convoluted way, by the way, um, with Steve Trevor. And they're, they're, they're going through Washington, D.C. And she, I don't know, I've never been to Washington, so, so I don't know, but I don't know it at all. But she go. She's showing him these things, saying, "Oh, this is art." Oh, and then she they go past um, kids that are dancing, that are break dancing, and she's like, "That that that's break dance." But they're literally break dancing to nothing. There's no music, and it's like, "Oh my god!" It's it's just such a good opportunity to have such a good '80s track there, <coughs> but there wasn't. And um, I feel, I feel like. This whole film is a missed opportunity. I, I really do, and um, it's why I didn't I didn't rate it very well. And um, I think that that sigh is the perfect review for Wonder Woman 1984 because the, I, actually I, I just looked at my review. Yes, the CGI was poor in places. It really was poor, and this film is one that's been delayed, delayed, delayed. They had a lot of time it's not not you know this isn't down to lack of time it's just it's just a film that's just not very good unfortunately but and and I really it really breaks my heart to say that because I really really wanted to love this film but I have heard people say that they really did like it and um I do wonder whether your enjoyment of the film does depend on whether you watched it at home on your TV or you watched it in cinemas and um, I do think this probably is a film that would benefit from being on the biggest screen possible. But that's just my overall feelings on the film. If you liked it, please let me know. If you didn't like it, let me know. And I'm really sorry my voice is going. It's been a long stream. And uh, it's, yeah, that time of year where everyone gets a bit sick. But um, I, thank you so much for watching and listening. Uh, I'm going to, in 2021, it's going to be a big push. We're going to do... Uh, more videos but I am going to keep it I think to three live streams a week 
Um, uh, the podcast will also come out so if you like listening to this as a podcast you can find it everywhere you get your podcast at small screen stories if you listen on um, Apple podcast please give us five stars uh, you can go and have a look at the site over at small-screen.co.uk you can follow small screen everywhere on social media that's a small uh, small screen co that's on Instagram Facebook and Twitter uh, like and subscribe on uh, subscribe subscribe on uh, on youtube uh, if you're watching on facebook then like the page follow the page like the video share the video uh, if you're watching on twitch keep on doing what you're doing and i will see you guys in the next one thank you so much for watching have a great new year's eve and happy new year to everybody thank you very much goodbye